All right, if you keep your Bibles open there to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 4, please. Revelation chapter 4. Except for last Sunday being Friend Day, I did a series of messages on living for eternity. As your pastor, I've tried to challenge you not to live for the things this world offers you, but live for what God offers you in heaven. In fact, Jesus said, lay not up your treasures upon this earth, for moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves can break through and steal, but lay your treasures where? In heaven, for moth and rust doth not corrupt, neither can thieves break through and steal. For where your treasures, there will your heart be also. So I've tried to challenge you to live your life for Jesus Christ, to make your life count for eternity. Live for things that are not a temporal, but eternal. We saw the last time we were together on this message that there are two things that are eternal. What were they? Number one, the Word of God. God's Word lasts forever. And as we uh, study it, apply it, Submit ourselves to it, obey it. We are uh, uh, laying up treasures in heaven. But also we saw that the souls of men, men's souls, people will live forever. So as we center our lives around the word of God and trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ, we are living for eternity. We are laying up treasures in heaven. And so as a Christian, why should we live for Christ? Now that we say, why should we seek to honor him with our lives? And the reason why is because God promises rewards for those who serve him. God promises rewards for those who serve him. And both of the past messages, this is number three, I asked you a question, what kind of rewards does the believer receive? Now, he promises rewards for those who work for him, that serve him. So what kind of rewards will the believer receive in heaven? I'm glad you asked. I think the answer is found right here in Revelation chapter 4. Now, chapter 4 has so much we could cover there about these beasts and with six wings flying around, crying, holy, holy, we have so much to cover. But I want to focus on the crowns mentioned here. And I believe we can find out what kind of rewards the believer will receive in heaven. We're going to see from two verses, verse 4 of chapter 4 and verse 10. Look at him with me, please, again. Revelation 4, verse 4. It says, and round about the throne. Now, remember, this is a vision that John saw. He saw God sitting upon his throne. He says in verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Verse 10, please. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. The crowns that these people were wearing, if it's wearing, were the rewards God gave to them for serving him. So the crowns represent rewards that the Lord gives us for serving him. Now, first understand what kind of rewards are these. I'm going to ask four questions we're going to answer from this text this morning. Four questions that are necessary to understand what kind of rewards God gives us. First of all, who are these are wearing crowns of gold? He saw 24 elders sitting upon the thrones wearing crowns of gold. Who are these wearing crowns of gold? Number two, why do they cast their crowns before the throne? They're wearing crowns of gold and they cast them before the throne. Why did they do that? Number three, how are these crowns obtained? How do they obtain the crowns? And number four, what kind of crowns are they? We're going to cover this uh, answer to these right here in this scripture text this morning. So let's begin with the first one. Who are these wearing the crowns of gold? 
They're called elders. There were 24 of them. Look again in verse 4. Who are these wearing crowns of gold? And from these, we can find out what kind of rewards God gives those who live for him. Around about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, who are these twenty-four elders? There's different opinions on who they are. If you look at different commentaries, you'll look at different uh, answers. There are two main opinions. The first one, many say they're angels. These are angels sitting upon the thrones and around uh, about that. But I don't believe they're angels. You never see angels wearing crowns. You never see angels sitting upon thrones. And so if they're not angels, who are they? I believe they represent the church, the body of Christ, believers. Those who have been raptured prior to this time and rewarded in heaven. So the 24 elders represent the body of Christ, the church. Now, when I say church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about believers. The church is not a building. It's a body of Christ, believers. Those who know him as Savior is called the church, the body of Christ. And the number 24 is a representative number. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, there were 24 orders of the priesthood. So the number 24 is representative of the church. But the elders that sat upon these thrones were believers, those that know Christ as Savior. And maybe some of you, they are sitting upon the throne. The Bible says that believers one day will rule and reign with Christ, sitting upon thrones. So they, I believe these are believers at the church. Let me give you some evidence why I believe that, why they're not angels. Let me give you three of them. Evidence that they represent the church and not angels. First of all, they are clothed in white raiment. These 24 elders are sitting upon the throne wearing crowns were clothed in white raiment. It said there in verse 4 of Revelation 4, I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And throughout the New Testament, especially Revelation, the Bible says when we go to heaven, we will be also clothed in white raiment. Do not turn there. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have, at the beginning, I'm going to have many verses up on the screen, and I'm going to read many verses. I'm going to save the verses we're going to turn to to the very end. We're going to look at different kind of crowns that God offers to us who serve him. So the first part I'll read to you or see on the screen. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, speaking to believers in a church, he says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Who is he that overcometh? It's believers. Those who trust Christ as Savior, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So it's talking about believers. Those clothed in white raiment are believers. Revelation 19, 7 says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, talking about the bride, the church, believers, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed, arrayed, excuse me, in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So these are believers wearing white linen. But also the, know why this is the church, the believers. Evidence of that is they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. These believers were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Go to chapter 5, please, Revelation. Here it talks again about those sitting upon the throne, these elders. And notice what it says about them. Again, this is evidence that these are not angels. These are Christians. 
the body of Christ, the church, represented by number 24, in verse 7 of chapter 5, Revelation, and he, the word he is the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and what? Four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast what? Redeemed us, talking about the twenty-four elders, redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. So these elders, represented by number twenty-four, was the church, the body of Christ, because they were clothed in white raiment, they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but also, number three, the crowns indicate that the elders had been judged and rewarded. The crowns represent, or indicate, excuse me, that the elders had been judged and rewarded. Now look at me, please. When John saw these elders, two things had happened prior to this. The rapture of the church and the judgment seat of Christ. The next event on God's calendar for the child of God is the rapture. The rapture where the Lord comes for his saints when he'll come and take us to heaven to be with him, called the rapture, which I believe can happen any moment, any time. Once we're raptured, we'll experience what is called the judgment seat of Christ. We'll stand before the Lord, and he will reward us for the things we've done for him. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his what? Body. So as a believer... One day we will stand before the Lord in heaven at the judgment seat, and you will give an account what you've done for Christ. At that, and, and the reason for that, he's going to judge you, works what you've done for him, that he may reward you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says this. This is the explanation, description of the judgment seat. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day, the judgment day, shall declare it. Because it, your work, shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Reward. So when John saw these elders sitting upon the throne, two things had happened. The rapture had happened, the church is in heaven, and they have already experienced the judgment of Christ. And they're sitting upon the thrones, ruling and reigning with Christ, wearing crowns of gold. Next question. Why do they cast their crowns before the throne? Now, who are these wearing the crowns? These are believers, the church, the body of Christ. Why do now they cast them before the throne? Look in verse 10, please, Revelation 4, please. We saw they were in crowns of gold. In verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And notice here, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Notice here, in this cash in the crowns, there are four elements of worship. These are believers, now before the throne of God, and notice four elements of worship. Number one, they fall down. They fall prostrate on the ground before the throne. I don't know about you, when I go to heaven and I see the Lord, I'm going to fall prostrate before him. I will not be able to get low enough 
because all the things he done for me, I desire to worship and praise him. These believers, they fall down. It says the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. The next element of worship, they give reverence and adoration. They fall down before the throne and give reverence and adoration to the one sitting upon the throne. It said, and worship him that liveth forever. The word worship means reverence and adoration. So they fall down before the throne. They worship him that sits upon the throne. And number three, they cast their crowns before the throne. They fall down before the throne. They worship the one upon the throne and now cast their crowns before the throne. And number four, in verse 11 there, it says there, it says they offer ascriptions of praise. They offer ascriptions of praise. In verse 11, after they cast their crowns before the throne, they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Here's a question for you, because I'm asked quite often. Is it wrong for the believer to lay his treasures in heaven? Is it wrong for me to seek to have rewards in heaven? Is it wrong for me to seek uh, uh, for things that are above and not on things of the earth? The answer is no. Because it is Christ that told me to lay my treasures in heaven, not upon the earth. It's him that told me to set my affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's not wrong to seek rewards in heaven. It's not being selfish. Because why? What do we do with our rewards? What? And these rewards are called crowns. What do we do with them? The Bible says we cast them before the one upon the throne. So the casting of crowns is an act of recognition of who is truly deserving. The casting of crowns is an act of recognition of who is truly deserving. As a pastor, any good that's in me is because of him. Any bad in me is because of me. Any good thing I achieve in life, any success I do in the ministry is because of him. Any failure in life is because of me. And one way I can give God the glory for what he has accomplished and done in my life is the crowns that I one day receive from him for serving him, I can lay at his feet. And by doing so, what are we saying? He is truly deserving. He's the one uh, that enabled us to do what we do. The Apostle Paul attributed all he was and what he accomplished by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God, because of God. So any good in you, my friend, though God recognizes it and God reward when you serve him, he gives you crowns. But we turn around, take our crowns, and cast them at the feet of Jesus. And by saying, all that God recognized and rewarded for, Jesus is truly worthy. That he's the one deserving of this. And so Psalm 115, verse 1 said this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for mercy and for thy truth's sake. But it's amazing, please listen. Many Christians will not be able to participate in this. Many Christians will not be able to participate in this. Again, the Christian, those upon the thrones, wearing crowns of gold, they will fall down prostrate before the Lord and worship him and take their crowns, which were rewards that God gave them for serving him, and will cast them at the feet of Jesus. And by saying so, Jesus, you are truly worthy. Though you reckon, God recognized me for what I did for you, you're the one worthy of all that I've accomplished in life. But sad, please listen. Many Christians will not be able to do this. 
And because of that, many, some will be ashamed. Some believers will be ashamed at this time. Look on your screen there, please. 1 John 2, 28. John said this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, to about the rapture, we may have confidence and not be, what? Ashamed before him as coming. What believers will be ashamed? Please listen. Many Christians are saved. I mean, all Christians are saved. Let me say that. Those that are saved, they've received eternal life. They're forgiven. Heavens are home. Hallelujah. But they turn around and they live for themselves. They live for the treasures of this world. They live for what the world offers them. They want a nicer car, a bigger boat, a bigger house. They want to keep up with the Joneses. And by doing so, they spend all the time and money of gaining material goods and have no time and little time to serve the Lord. And when they're called to heaven at the judgment seat, when God judged their works, they have no works to, uh, to judge. And they receive no rewards. Therefore, they cannot cast their crown before the throne because they have no crowns to cast. And they are ashamed. How about you? Will you be ashamed of the Lord's coming? Because you're living for yourself? Living for things of the world? Or are you living for Christ? Thus also, some will have tears and sorrow. At the judgment seat, some will have tears and sorrow. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought there were no tears in heaven, sorrow in heaven. They get that from this verse. Look on the screen, please. Here's the verse where they get that from. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, Revelation 21, this is after the creation of the new heaven and earth. Now, look up here, please. The last three chapters of Revelation are in chronological order. Chapter 19 talks about the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 20 talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ. The latter part of chapter 20 is, is the uh, great white throne judgment. And then God destroys the heaven and earth and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And the first thing he does, he wipes away tears from their eyes. Now, how many realize there has to be tears to wipe away? So it's at that time God wiped away their tears. Because I believe many Christians will have regret. And many may have sorrow because they live for themselves and not for the Lord. When the Lord, the Bible talks about it, he's going to judge your works by a fire. If any man's works abide, he shall receive a what? Reward. But if his works are burned up, he shall what? Suffer loss of reward. And so many believers today are living for themselves. What the world offers them. When they go to heaven, they're going to say, oh, how I wasted my life. How I live for what the world offers me and not for Christ. Listen to me, please. I said this last message. When you die and go to heaven, Christian, you will not be there for five minutes. And you will not think about what kind of money you made. You're not going to talk, think about what kind of house you lived in. You're not going to talk about what kind of car you drove. You're not going to think about what kind of clothes you wore. You're going to think about what did I do for Jesus Christ. And you'll give an account of that at the judgment seat. And for those of you that live for the Lord and serve him, he's going to reward you and give you crowns and I sit upon the throne with him in heaven, and reign with him. But, you know, then we're going to turn around and see the one sitting upon the throne and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power, and we'll cast our crowns before his throne to say, truly, he's deserving. But it's sad many Christians will not be able to do that.
they'll go there, as the old hymn says, they'll go there empty-handed. Nothing to offer the Lord. So who are these that sitting upon the throne wearing the crowns? They're believers. Why did they cast them before the throne? Because they're saying, truly, the Lord is worthy. Now, the next question, how were these crowns obtained? They're wearing crowns of gold. How did they get them? Now, if you were here the last couple times we covered the message on living for eternity, first of all, they are earned. Crowns are earned. You remember last time we were together on this message, I compared the uh, rewards to salvation. Remember, salvation's a gift. Rewards are earned. How many are grateful that salvation's a gift? Now, please listen, because so many people misunderstand. You don't work for heaven. You don't earn eternal life. You don't earn forgiveness. It's free. It's given to you at the expense of Jesus Christ. And because what he did for you, God offers you eternal life as a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's heaven. But now that you're saved, God says, if you live for me, I'll reward you. I'll reward you and give you eternal rewards in heaven. They're called crowns. So these crowns are earned. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2, look on the screen there, please. It said, if any man strive for the masteries, he, yet he's not crowned except he strive, what? Lawfully. And the mastery is talking about the Olympic Games. And the Bible likens the Christian life unto a race, the Olympics. And the Bible said if we run the Christian race, live for Christ, that we will not be crowned except we strive lawfully. The word lawfully means according to the rules. Every athletic event has its boundaries and rules, and all who fail to discipline themselves to observe these rules are disqualified. Paul wanted Timothy to run as to win the crown and not be disqualified. This requires a Christian to be strong, to have strong qualities of discipline, self-control, and endurance. So if you want to be crowned, you need to live according to the Bible. You need to live according to the rules. But also, the crowns are earned. But they, uh, how are they obtained? They are rewarded. These are rewards given to these believers for their service for Christ. We saw these verses before, but look at them again in Matthew 16. It's on the screen. Verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall what? Reward every man according to his what? Look at me, please. No works, no rewards. <laughs> you understand that? If you don't work and serve the Lord, you'll get to heaven because of his grace, but you have no rewards when you get there. Revelation 22, 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, Jesus said, to give to every man according as his work shall be. What kind, how are these crowns obtained? They're earned, they're rewards. Now, what kind of crowns are these? What kind of rewards will we have in heaven? First of all, there are two kinds of crowns mentioned in Scripture. Don't miss this, please. Now, I'm going to talk about, because I asked you both last services, what kind of rewards will I have in heaven? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about them now. There are two kinds of crowns mentioned in the Scripture. Number one, a victor's crown. A victor's crown. The Greek word there is the word Stephanos. It's talking about those who are victorious in a, a, a race or an Olympic event. Again, the Bible likens the Christian, unto a, a Christian life unto a race. 
and those who are victors in these race receive this crown. The second kind of crown is a king's crown. A king's crown, and the Greek word is diadem. Remember the song we sang? We shall uh, crown of many crowns that will bring forth the royal what? Diadem. This is the king's crown, the crown that Jesus wears. It's the crown of a sovereign ruler. Revelation 19, 12. And when he comes back to the battle of Armageddon, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, many diadems. The crowns given to us are not diadems. They're Stephanos, the victor's crowns. Those of you that are victorious in the Christian life, that's the kind of crown you're going to receive, a victor's crown. Now, there are five of them. Now, you got your fingers ready to turn with me? I want to show you five different crowns you are available to you to, uh, to when you serve the Lord. The first one. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's called the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. Now, I've gone through a little fast on these before, either reading scripture or having you seen on the screen, but now turn with me, please. Page 1612, for those using the church Bible. The first crown available to you as a believer when you serve the Lord, is called the incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, please. And again, it's like in the Christian life unto a race. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Paul said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. Then he says, So run, Christian, that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, it means those who compete in the contest, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we what? Incorruptible. Those who compete in the Olympic races, they strive to win a corruptible crown. But the Bible said when you strive and live for the Lord, you receive an incorruptible crown. Verse 26. Therefore, so I so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beaneth the air. Verse 27, but I keep under my body, and I bring it in subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, means disqualified. So the first crown is an incorruptible crown. Let me give the requirements for this, what you've got to do to get one of these crowns. Number one, self-control. Self-control. It said, if every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things, I have to control myself and live for the Lord. The next requirement is discipline and restraint. Discipline and restraint. So through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside me, through self-control, discipline my life and restrain myself from doing things I should not do. It goes on to say in verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it in subjection. So to get the crown, incorruptible crown, the believer must exercise self-control, discipline, and restraint. How many realize so much of Christian life is self-control, is discipline and restraint? So many believers are involved in things they should not do because they have, they're out of control. They do not discipline and restrain themselves from the things of this world. So the first crown, the incorruptible crown. Number two, the second one is a crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. Page 1663, please. 1663. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Here's a crown, Christian, you can earn, you can win. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I hope you underline these, highlight these, because these are crowns, rewards available to you. What kind of rewards will we receive? They're called crowns. The first one, the incorruptible crown. The next one is called a crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Look with me in verse 19. Paul said, for what is our hope? or joy, or what? Crown of rejoicing. Answer, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. What he's saying here, the crown of rejoicing is the soul winner's crown. The requirement is win lost people to Jesus Christ. Paul said, what is my joy in heaven? What's my crown? It's you, those he led to Christ. So every person leading to Christ, God will reward you for and give you a crown. Now, does that mean you have a crown for every person? Or maybe a crown has many markings on how many led to Christ? I don't know. But when you lead a person to Christ, God says, I reward you and give you a crown. By the way, how many crowns would you have thus far? You know what's sad? Many believers have never led one person to Christ. Though they know they ought to, they know they should, but they never have led one person to Christ. You will not get this crown. This is called a crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown, for those requirements win lost people to Christ. Number three, the third crown is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. Go with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You have the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, now the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Thank you for turning with me. I hope if you have your own Bible, you'll mark these verses. And these are crowns, rewards you can get one day if you fulfill the requirements. The crown of righteousness, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 7, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, henceforth, there's laid up for me a what? A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day, and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. So what's the requirements for the crown of righteousness? It's one who has fought for and kept the faith. One who has fought for and kept the faith unto the end, motivated by love and anticipation of the Lord's return. Those who love his appearing. The requirement, one who has fought for and kept the faith unto the end, motivated by love anticipation of the Lord's return. Here's a question for you. He speaks about those who receive the crown of righteousness unto all them that love is appearing. Who, what Christians will love the appearing of Christ? Those who are serving him, living for him, and honoring him. If the Lord would come back tonight, or maybe after the sermon's done, how many like that? 
that you heard the trumpet, and the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which alive remain shall be called up together to be with the Lord. Many of you would be excited about that, and you would love his appearing because you're serving living for him. But the Christian that would be ashamed and sorrowful is the one living for himself. He will not love the Lord's appearing because he knows his appearing is going to give him account of his life at the judgment, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. That's called the crown of righteousness. Number four, the fourth crown is the crown of glory. The crown of glory. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter 5. We saw the incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, now the crown of glory. Page 1708, if you're using a church Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4. Chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5. This is also called the elder's crown. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Here, Peter is speaking to pastors. The word elder is a pastor, a bishop of a church. In verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, whom am also an elder. Paul, was, excuse me, Peter was a pastor, an elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also the partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2, he's speaking to pastors. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? The Lord Jesus. When Jesus shall appear, ye shall receive a what? A crown of glory that fadeth not away. So what is the requirement for a crown of glory? The spiritual leader who feeds, leads, and sets the right example for the people of God. The spiritual leader who feeds, leads, and sets the right example for the people of God. That person will receive the crown of glory. Number five, and lastly. Are you still with me? Number five, the crown of life. The crown of life. Go with me now to James chapter 1. He said, Pastor, I just found 1 Peter. Now, James is right before 1 Peter, if that's helpful. <laughs> James chapter 1, page 1698, the crown of life. James chapter 1, look in verse 12. It says, blessed, the word blessed means happy. <clears throat> blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the what? The crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Do not turn them and read this to you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It said, fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So what, the crown of life, what's the requirement to receive this crown? Faithfulness and perseverance in the midst of suffering, testing, tribulation, even unto death. Faithfulness and perseverance in the midst of suffering, testing, and tribulation. 
Many of you have gone through much suffering. Many of you have gone through much testing. But have you been faithful to the Lord? Have you been faithful in serving him in the midst of all that? If you have, one day you'll hear them say, well done, and grant you the crown of life, especially those who are faithful even until death. It's also called the martyr's crown. The martyr's crown. So what are the five crowns? The first one, the incorruptible crown. The second one, the crown of rejoicing. The third one, the crown of righteousness. The fourth one, the crown of glory. And the fifth one, the crown of life. Now look up here, please. I know I've covered a lot this morning. I hope you wrote them down. I hope you go back over them again. But many times I've asked you, what kind of rewards will we get in heaven? They're called crowns. Which crown will you get? Is it wrong to seek to get crowns? Can I give you, can I be transparent with you? I want to get as many as I can. I hope the Lord backs up a semi-tractor trailer for me, back and dumps them out. Why? Because I can see, look how wonderful I am. I can cast my throne, crown before the throne and see how wonderful he is. And that's our way of giving him the glory. That's our way of giving him the credit. So my friend, get as many as you can get. So one day you can cast them before his feet and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and power and honor. But always remember this, Christian. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is a gift. Please don't misunderstand that. We're talking about rewards here. They are earned and re uh, uh, rewarded for those the works we do. But salvation is not by works. It's by grace through faith. Close your Bibles. Look up here. You say, Pastor, you've said that enough. I got it. But some people need it. <laughs> some people, because of the background, the church they went to earlier in life, they have the idea, for me to get to heaven, I've got to earn it. I go to heaven because of the deeds I do, the works I do in life. That's what gets me to heaven. My friend, that is a lie. Salvation is not through anything, by anything that you do, but rather what Christ has done for you. Salvation is a gift given. Let me quote a verse for you. Many of you know by heart. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. How many know that verse? Can you quote it with me? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? boast. My friend, salvation is a gift given freely. If you're here today and heaven's not your home, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, why not receive God's gift? It's free. It costs you nothing. It costs God everything. It costs him his son. It costs his son his life. And he offers it to you at his expense free. Your part is to receive it as a gift. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when you believe on Christ as Savior, he gives you the gift of eternal life. But now that you're saved, God says, I want to give you rewards when you get to heaven. And you earn those. You work for those by the things you do in life. So Christian, when you get to heaven, when you say one of these two statements, you get to heaven, you look in your past life. Will you say, I'm so glad I did? Or instead, I wish I had it. I'm so glad I served the Lord. I'm so glad I honored him with my life. I'm so glad I lived things that count for eternity. Or will you say, oh, I wish I had it. How I wasted my life. 
I live for the things of this world, which one would be you? Will you have confidence at the coming or be ashamed? Will you have great joy or will you have sorrow? It all depends on, as a Christian, who and what are you living for? Let's bow together, please. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ, that heaven's your home. You have been born again by the Spirit of God. You have eternal life. You're a Christian. To challenge you not to live for the things of this world, but live for Christ. Live for eternity. Live for things that have eternal value, not temporal. And I encourage you to do that. Because one day you will stand before God and give an account what you did with your life. So Christian, I want to encourage you, if you have fallen away from God, that you're living for yourself and not for the Lord, why not turn around and get back right with God? Why not recommit yourself to the one who died for you that you might live for him? You can make that right today. You can make that decision to quit living for yourself and things of this world and live for Christ and the things in heaven. Why not do that today? But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, my friend, God offers you a gift, the gift of eternal life. It's free to you. Your part is to receive it, to trust Christ as your Savior. How do we do that? First of all, acknowledging that we are a sinner. We all are. To acknowledge because you've sinned, you've earned God's punishment, which we all have. And as a sinner, you can do nothing to save yourself. But to realize that Christ died to save you, he sent his son to pay the debt of sin that you owe. He was buried and rose again. And God offers you eternal life as a gift. Your part is to receive, to believe in Christ as your Savior. And you can do that right now. Right where you sit, you can talk to the true name of God and trust Jesus to be your Savior. You say, Pastor, I've never done that before, but I'd like to do that today. Why not tell God that? In your own thoughts, maybe just say something like this. To say, God of heaven, I admit I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place. I believe the judgment I deserve for my sin, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, bearing my sin and shame, he died for me. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. And God realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me, forgive me, and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, does that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as your Savior today? If you did, heaven's your home. God saves you the moment you do that. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I'd like to pray for those who made that decision to receive Christ. My prayer for you does not save you, but I simply want to pray for those who did that. The only way I can know if anyone did that, in one moment, I'm asking you to raise your hand. Raise your hand doesn't save you. My prayer for you does not save you. It's Christ that saves you when you trusted him. But if you did that today, allow me to rejoice with you and pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Lift your head up high. Pastor, I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me this morning? Here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Father, I hope that means that someone raised their hand that they have trusted Christ. Heavens are home because they made the decision to receive Christ as Savior. But Father, and I pray for the believer, Lord, that we determine that we would make our lives count for eternity. We live for things that have eternal value, not temporal value. We would lay our treasures in heaven, not upon this earth.
Lord, that we will hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that we might have rewards given to us by you, that we can turn around and give them back to you, because you are truly worthy of any good things we achieve in life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.